Good evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome back if you are a returning viewer, a returning member. Um, welcome if this is your first time tuning in to Full Circle. I am Christiane Mayfield, and I am going to be the facilita facilitator tonight. Uh, normally, I would be here with my brother, Jeff Mayfield, but he couldn't make it on tonight. So, um, so yeah, we're doing this thing solo tonight. So y'all pray for me as I go through this uh, material tonight. Um, I, before I really get into anything else, I just want to stop and take a moment to pray. So dear Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you and we praise you for this night. God, I just ask that you would just be in the midst of this class. I ask that you would just guide me as I go through um, this material, Lord. I pray that it would touch someone's heart, that someone's life might be changed, Lord, that you would just encourage your people through the words that are spoken on tonight. I pray that you would just anoint my lips, that I would say only those things that you would have me to say, Lord. And I just thank you, God, for the opportunity to be before your people once again. And I pray that you would just bless this time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So last time we were here, which it kind of feels like a while ago now, but the last time that we were here, we were talking about the comparison trap and we wrapped up our Bend Don't Break series with that. And so we're going to start something new tonight. Um, we are talking about basically how do we get out of some of the messes that we get ourselves into in life. Um, and so it's called the escape room. And I'm sure many people have heard of what an escape room is. People may have even been to an escape room. But for those who don't know, an escape room is a situational game in which participants are confined to a room or other enclosed settings, such as a prison cell, and are given a set amount of time to find a way to escape, as by discovering hidden clues and solving a series of riddles or puzzles. And for some, probably for some of the younger people, that sounds, you know, it sounds like something fun. It was something you could do on the weekend with your friends. You know, you go to this place, you do little riddles, y'all make your way out and, you know, have some fun along the way. But for some people, being trapped is not something that's alluring. There's no, that's not exciting to them. Um, but our lives can be a lot like those escape rooms. And often we can find ourselves in a place spiritually where it just seems that there's no way out. And we stumble around in the dark, searching aimlessly for an exit, all while being pulled deeper and deeper into the darkness, until it seems that no matter what we do, there's just no escape and the situation seems hopeless. But the good news is we don't have to stay in those dark places. God has already provided the way out. So that's what we're gonna get into tonight. We're gonna talk about how do we get out of those hopeless situations when we find ourselves there. And so, and the first thing is like, how do we even end up in these situations? Well, we're people, right? And people are flawed. And so we have to sit there and evaluate. So what happens next? What happens? What's the next step after I mess up? What happens if I drift away from the father? What do I do when I've gotten myself into a situation that I can't get myself out of? And what do I do when I feel like I'm at my lowest and I just... I can't overcome whatever it is. What do I do when, when my mind is playing tricks on me and the enemy is um, speaking negative things into my spirit? How, how do I get out when I'm feeling that way? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And one of the first, one of the first things I want to talk about is how we end up there in the first place, right? 
what if I'm walking with God and if Jesus is my Lord and if I'm saved, how can I even find myself in that type of situation? Well, one of the ways that we can end up there that we're going to talk about today is self-gratification. And I want to look at two specific characters on tonight and just um, just look at how they landed themselves in uh, these deep, dark places and, and they had to be rescued. And what was the outcome and how can we apply that to our own situations? And so the first person that I want to look at today is Samson. And Samson, Samson is an interesting guy. He's one of my favorite Bible characters. And I feel like I say that like every time that we're here, but there's so many, um, there's just so many interesting people in the word of God. But Samson was interesting because he came along before um, the first king was anointed. So he was one of the judges before Israel was governed by the monarchy. It was governed by God's judges. And so he was anointed to do a certain job. But, but his character is what's so interesting about him, his personality. Samson was a trickster. I know we look at Jacob and we talk about Jacob was a trickster, but Samson was also kind of a trickster. And he was a little bit arrogant. He was kind of walking around feeling himself and he was impulsive and he had a lust problem. And so those are some of the things that caused him to end up in some sticky situations. And um, people probably like, Samson was arrogant, but if you really study the book of Judges and you study um, how he went around and the things that he did, he was very, very much full of himself. And it was because he had such a special anointing. He had a special gift. Um, his parents had presented him to the Lord. They dedicated him to God. And because of that, God anointed him and gave him supernatural strength. And so, you know, he's the people's champion. But being the people's champion kind of got to his head a little bit. And so we're just going to go through some of the things that he did. I'm not going to cover every single story that there is about him. But definitely, if you have time in your free time, definitely go read Judges chapter 16 because there's so much in there. But I just want to look at um, from one of the things that he did. So he presented a riddle to so he he wanted to marry this philistine woman that was one of his things we talked about right so he had a lust problem he was always looking at women and in those days they were not supposed to marry outside of the nation of israel they weren't supposed to marry people who served um gods that were not their god right and so samson says you know what i saw this philistine woman and she's so beautiful to me i gotta have her i need to marry her and so they set up the engagement and he goes and they get um, he meets the parents and they're like okay well if you give me this you can marry her and he says well I'm gonna give you this riddle and if you can guess this riddle then you give me I think it's a thousand uh, garments or a hundred garments and vice versa and so he gives them this riddle about a lion and some honey anyway they don't they can't figure it out the only way they figure it out is because Samson's bride-to-be tells them the answer to the riddle and he gets upset because she told him and he decides well I don't want to marry you anymore and so he storms off like a hothead and then after he cools down he comes back and he's like well I changed my mind I want to get married after all and by then the father had already promised her to someone else and he's like well you acted like you didn't want to marry my daughter so I gave her to someone who did want to marry her so that was just like one instance where he was walking around acting like a hothead um, there was a time where he slayed a thousand Philistine men with a donkey's jawbone and he's the whole time he's walking around taunting these people. Um, 
he also once removed the gates of Gaza and put them up on a hillside just because he could. Um, so he had a long track record of just doing all of these things to kind of terrorize his enemies. And because of his God-giving strength, there was nothing that they could do to stop him. And so he was walking around like he was the king. Even though he was not king, he was just a judge. He walked around like he owned the place. And so I want to look at Judges chapter 16, verses 4 through 6. And it says, sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah. And this is the story probably that most people are familiar with when we talk about Samson. They know Samson is associated with Delilah, right? And so Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah who lived in the valley of Sorek. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong and how he can be overpowered and tied up securely. Then each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. And so Delilah said to Samson, please tell me what makes you so strong and what it would take to tie you up securely. And so you would think that, you know, if Samson's strength is conditional, if there's a thing out there that can make his strength go away and someone is asking him, what is the very thing that is going to take away his strength? You would think that that might like, you know, raise some type of suspicion that that might be a red flag that he might be like, you know what? This woman is not the one for me. Let me just, you know, slide to the left. But he being who he was and having that, you know, that desire to just, you know, oh, this woman is just so beautiful. It's not that bad. I'll just go along with it. He doesn't run. He, he just, you know, he just makes something up. And so he lies and he tells her that if he's tied up with seven bowstrings that have never been used, that then he'll be defeated. He'll lose his strength. And so, of course, she tries it and she fails. And so she asks him again. Again, this should have been a red flag for Samson, right? She's asked once you told her a lie. She's asking you again and you don't see anything suspicious about that. But he didn't. And so he, you know, again, he deceives her and he tells her that if he is tied with seven new ropes, then he'll lose his strength. And so again, Delilah tries and fails. And so they repeat this again. And he tells her that if she weaves his hair into a loom, then he'll lose his strength. And then she goes through the process again. She she weaves his hair into the loom. She calls the Philistines. She says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And Samson gets up and he's just as strong as ever. And she's oh, it's another lie. And so at this point, Delilah's getting fed up because she's like, oh, Samson, you don't really love me. You won't really tell me the source of your strength. You don't trust me. And I've always found this story to be like kind of puzzling. Like, how is Samson really that dumb? that he doesn't see that she's trying to, um, she's trying to overcome him. She's trying to defeat him. She's trying to betray him. And, and she's, she's crying and she's like, oh, I just love you so much. Why don't you love me, Samson? If you really loved me, then you would do, you would just tell me. And, and so Samson, like a lot of men, finally gives in. And so he, he tells her the truth. She cuts his, and the truth is that if his hair is cut, because that was the covenant that he made with God, that his parents made with God, his hair would never be touched by a shaver. It would never be cut. And so he finally reveals that secret to Delilah. And what does Delilah do? 
she shows him exactly who she had already shown him that she was. She cuts his hair, he wakes up, and he has lost his strength. And the, Philist the Philistines arrest him, they capture him, and they take him away. And so we look at Judges 16, verses 20 through 22. This is exactly what happened. Then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. So the Philistines captured him and gouged out his eyes. They took him to Gaza, where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. But before long, his hair began to grow back. So I kind of want to back up a little bit and just address, you know, what was going on between Samson and Delilah. Because it's, it's funny, as you read the story, and, and even myself, I'm reading the story, and I'm like, Samson, you really that dumb, bro? Like, this woman asked you multiple times, and then she acted out every single thing that you told her. And then yet you still told her the true secret to your strength. But so many of us, when we get in a situation, we have, you know, a relationship or even not even a romantic relationship, but a friendship. And you're so enamored with that other individual and you're so blinded by whatever it is, whether it's lust or just, you know, insecurities. And that person is making you feel good. The truth can be right in front of you, but because you're wrapped up in self and you're trying to do your own thing and not, you know, not taking a step back, not asking God, God, is this for me? Then you you succumb to this temptation. You you give away your secrets. You give away parts of you that you're not supposed to give away just for pleasing your flesh. And that's what happened to Samson. He wanted to stay with this beautiful woman who had nothing for him she didn't have anything positive to offer him all she did was take from him but he gave of himself because he wanted to fulfill his flesh he wanted to fulfill his uh fleshly desires and um so it was, it was saying that in verse 22 before long so he's in slavery they have if you can imagine Samson is this great champion. He's conquered all these Philistines. He slayed a thousand Philistines by himself with no sword, just the donkey's jawbone, right? This man set fire to a, a, a town by tying foxes together and setting their tails on fire. This was the man that had, had terrorized them and terrorized them some more. And then they capture him and he's weaker than the weakest of men. And so now they're mocking him and they've blinded him and he has to stand here and he just takes it because that's what he's become. Just because he, you know, he broke his covenant with God, he lost sight of his purpose and he allowed the enemy to creep in and he allowed his, his desires, his self desires to take over. And so he's sitting there and he's, he's in his lowest point and they have a feast. And they have they have this big party and they invite everybody. They have all their good wine out. The people are rowdy. They're getting drunk. They're mocking him. Um, they say, you know what, let's bring out bring out Samson, bring out, you know, the mighty, the mighty Israelite Samson so that we can see him. And so they do. So they bring him out and, you know, they're they're mocking him. But Samson sees an opportunity in his lowest moment. So they bring him out. And if you can visualize, there's two pillars that are, you know, they're structural, structural pillars. There's one on either side of him and they bring him out and they put him in the middle. And Samson places one hand on either side 
and he puts his he puts his arms on the pillars and he cries out to God in that low point and he's he realizes then that there's only one way out of the situation and the way out is through him calling out to God and asking God to once again rescue him and so in Judges 16 verses 28 through 30 it says that Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me again, O God. Please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. Then Samson put his hands on the two center pillars that held the temple. Pushing against them with both hands, he prayed, Let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all the people. So he killed more people when he died than he had during his entire lifetime. And so I think, you know, people see that as like, you know, kind of like a happy resolution to the story. But I see it as more of a tragedy because I believe that, you know, Samson didn't have to go out like that. Right. He didn't have to tell Delilah his secret. He didn't have to be with Delilah in the first place. But he had a track record of being with these promiscuous women. Um, earlier in Judges, I think in chapter earlier chapter 16, it talks about how he was before he took those gates and put them up on the hill in Gaza. He was with a prostitute. Then after he's with the prostitute, then that's when he meets Delilah. So he went from one woman to the next woman to the next woman. And so he ended up on this downward spiral chasing after, you know, the physical desires. And so he, he just, he completely lost sight of what his purpose was. He's supposed to be judging the people of Israel, right? He's supposed to be their defender, their conqueror on behalf of God. But because he lost sight of that, because he just was concerned with what he wanted, what he felt like he needed, he ended up in this terrible place. He, he fell down so low to the point where his only way out was death. And I think that that's just a, a very sad situation. It's such a sad um scenario that that's that's how far it had to go but because God was so good and so just and like he said God is sovereign right so because God is who he says he is God still heard his prayer and honored his request and so in that last cry out to God he was able to escape from this pit he wasn't able to escape from his mess and he honored God with with his very life in his last moment and I pray that, you know, none of us ever find ourselves in that kind of a situation where we got so far off the path, so far away from purpose that our, our very last breaths are saying, you know, God, I, I just I don't know what else to do. But God, save me. You know, I mean, yes, God will hear your cry, but let's not ever get to that point. Let's not, you know, lose sight of God to the point that we're completely hopeless. There is no other way out but for God to just deliver us unto death. And so um, I want to look at one more person who also kind of had some of the same struggles that Samson had. Um, and we're still talking about, you know, ending up in this escape room because of pursuing self-gratification. And so the next person that I want to look at who had a problem with this um, was the man after God's own heart, David. So David got sucked into um, this, this escape room situation because despite his love and his zeal for God, he still got caught up in self-gratification. 
And so what do I mean when I say self-gratification? When I say self-gratification, I mean the things that I want, the things that I need, you know, less of the eyes, less of the flesh, those things that make me feel good, but are not necessarily for my good. And so if we look at 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses one through three, um, it's the beginning of where David starts messing up. And I mean, he hadn't lived a perfect life, but up until this point, the things that he was doing were honorable in the sight of God. So if you look at 2 Samuel 11, verses one through three, it says, in the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab, the Israelite army, and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite, I'm sorry. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. So already that's a little bit weird because it's normally the kings will be at war, but for whatever reason, David stayed behind. And late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looks out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. And right there, that was an out. So the thing about these escape rooms, there's always, there's always an out. There's all throughout the stories, there's always an opportunity for us to get out, right? If we look back at what we just talked about with Samson, Samson had multiple opportunities to not end up in the situation that he ended up in. All those different times Delilah asked him, Samson, uh, if I do this, will you lose your strength? He's like, no, I'll do it, do this, and I, I'll be weak. And telling her these lies and this woman carries it out, and you still continue to go through the same thing over and over again. You had chance after chance. And then you still, you still didn't catch on. And so David, okay, he sees this woman out here bathing. You know that this is not your wife. You know you shouldn't be looking at this woman. But what does he do? He stays out there and he keeps looking at her. And so, and not only does he look at her, right? In verse three, it says he sent someone to find out who she was and was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Red flag number two. This woman is married, y'all. He has no business looking at her at all. Point blank, period. He should have just walked away. But we all, almost all of us know, if we know the story of David and Bathsheba, that's not where the story ends, right? So... In verses four through five, David sent messengers to go and get them. So first he asked who this woman is, finds out she's married, should have stopped there, but he doesn't stop there. The next thing he does, he goes and gets the woman. So David sent the messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. So at this point, it's like David has really messed up. First of all, you messed up because you're looking at the woman. You had no business looking at her. Second off, you sent people to go see about the woman because she just looked that good to you. Then you bring her to you and, and you... You sleep with her and whether or not it was consensual, that's debatable. It's not enough information there, but all of it is messy, right? And then now on top of all of that mess, now the woman is pregnant. So not only did you sin, but now there's evidence that you sinned. Now it's apparent that, that you did something messed up, right? 
And it wasn't like he had to do it. No one forced him to do this. This was his own choice. He dug this ditch himself. He could have walked away multiple times. He could have stopped at any point, but he just kept going because, because why? Because he wanted to please his flesh. She looked good to his eyes, right? She, she ignited something in him. So he just felt like he needed to bring her to him. He just had to, he just had to have her. And so um, when we, if we keep going down, if instead of David asking for forgiveness at this point, because clearly he's messed up, the woman is with child. So the right thing to do would be to go to God, right? And to repent. But does he do that? No, he does not. What does he do? He decides that he's going to fix it. So if we look at 2 Samuel 11, verses 6 through 9, it says, Then David sent word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him to David. When Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. Then he told Uriah, Go on home and relax. And David sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. But Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. <laughs> so David, you know, in his mind, he was like, oh, it's no problem. I can fix this. All I gotta do is send Uriah home to his wife. He'll go, you know, he'll sleep with his wife. And then it won't be strange that his wife is pregnant. Like, it'll just make complete sense. No one will know. It'll be fine. But <laughs> didn't work out that way. Uriah didn't go home. So David doesn't stop there. He decides, I can still fix this. Look at verse 10. It says, when David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him and asked, what's the matter? Why did you go home last night after being away for so long? And Uriah replied, the ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents. And Joab and my master's men are camping in the open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I would never do such a thing. So to make it so, to make it even worse, to add insult to injury, not only did David take this man's wife, sleep with the man's wife, the man is like completely devoted to David. He's completely devoted to the cause. He's like, there's no way that I'm abandoning my post. I am loyal. I am going to be a good soldier. I'm going to do my job no matter what. Everything else comes second. And David is like, uh, okay. Because he's, you know, he's in his mess and he's trying to, his mind is like scrambling. He's like, how can I fix this? How can I fix this? What can I do? And none of his plans are working. You would think that he would stop there and say, okay, God, I can't fix this. I know I messed up. This is maybe you showing me a sign that maybe I should just come clean. Maybe I should just repent. But he does not do that. He takes it a step further. And so he derives another scheme. And we look at verse 14 through 17. It says, the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. And the letter, the letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest, then pull back so that he will be killed. So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And when the enemy soldiers came out of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with several other Israelite soldiers. At this point, David 
he just, he's at what we would call a point of no return, it seems, because he just completely threw his integrity out the window at this point. Not only did he have this man killed, but he basically had the man deliver his own death sentence, which is, which is bold. He had some audacity, okay? He writes the letter that's gonna send him to his death, makes him carry it to the commander. And then he just sits back and just watches it all unfold. And so, so now David is, not only has he, you know, looked at this woman, not only has he committed adultery with this woman, but now he's also a murderer because he's, he's just killed this man in cold blood for no, for no reason, except for the re except for to cover up his own lust, to cover up his own mistake. And so even though he committed this, this grave offense against God, he committed this grave offense against Bathsheba, against himself, because really he's sinning against himself too, right? And so, and God, and the word says that God was displeased with David, but even in his displeasure, he still loved David enough to send him another lifeline. And so God sends the prophet Nathan to bring correction to David. So Nathan comes and he talks to David. He says, he says, David, uh, there's this man, there's this rich man and, uh, there's this poor man. They live down the road from each other. And, um, and the poor man, he has, he doesn't have much of anything. It's just him. And he has this one sheep and he's raised it since it was a baby. And, you know, he loves it like it's part of his family. And, and, you know, it's just him and his sheep, right? And then there's a rich man, he lives up the road. He's got plenty of cattle, plenty of sheep. Uh, you know, he's not thinking about the poor man, really. And one day he has a guest to come into town and he decides he wants to throw a party and he wants to feed his guests. Well, you would think that he would go out in the backyard and slaughter a calf or, you know, slaughter one of his own sheep, but that's not what happened. The rich man goes down the road, steals the lamb of the poor man takes that lamb for the dinner for his friend. And David hears this story and David is livid. He's going off. He's saying, how could this man do this? This is just, this is just ridiculous. There's no way that this is going to be acceptable in my kingdom. I won't stand for it. Whoever did this, they need to be put to death. And he's just going and going and going. And Nathan says, all right, David, well, Story is a representation of something else that happened. You are the rich man and Uriah was the poor man. You took Uriah's one and only wife for yourself. And so if we look at 2 Samuel verse 12, chapter 12, verse 13 to 14, after you know he's revealed this to him, David says, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord by doing this, your child will die. And that's the thing. He did just completely show contempt for the Lord because he knew exactly what he was doing. Every single step of the way, he had opportunity after opportunity to stop because at the, after the first time when he tried to fix it, Uriah could have went home and he could have been with his wife and it could have been covered up, but it didn't happen like that. God gave him an out. God gave him an opportunity to make it right. 
but he decided that what he wanted was more important. Covering it up, making himself look good was more important. And so he kept going and it kept failing. And so he came up with another plan until he just went too far. And then the word of God says, be sure your sins will find you out. <laughs> His sin found him out because God sent the word to the prophet and brought it back to him. And so now he's standing face to face with his sin. He realized what it was that he that he had done. And he realized just how far he had fallen out of the will of God. And so he repents and he's, you know, oh, God, I'm sorry. But his actions are not without consequence, right? Because every action has a consequence. Sometimes, you know, God shows us mercy and he, he extends grace to us and we don't receive the, pu the punishment that we should. But in this particular case, there was still a, a grave consequence that happened. And so he had to humble himself and repent before God. And so if we, um, if we look at Psalms, so for those who don't know, David wrote a lot of the Psalms and one of the most, um, the most quoted one, one of the most famous one is Psalms chapter 51. And the entire thing of Psalms 51 is written because of what happened here in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And so I just want to look at a couple of the verses where David is crying out to God in repentance. And he said, create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a loyal spirit within me. King James says, renew a right spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. And so it took him a while to get here. It took him a lot of missteps and he hit rock bottom just like Samson. He was just fortunate enough to not have to die in his sin at this point. Um, but the exit strategy was for him to get on his face for him to repent before God, to, to admit the wrongdoing that he had done and to make it right. And so it's the same for us, right? When we're going through these type of situations, when we find ourselves um, locked in this place where we, we keep trying to fix stuff ourselves, we keep trying to make things better on our own and nothing is coming together, everything is falling apart. We have to follow the same the same pattern. We have to acknowledge that we can't do this on our own, especially when we're in the situations where we're just trying to feed the flesh. I'm just doing this because it feels good to me. We can't continue in our life like that and think that it's not going to catch up to us. God doesn't operate like that, especially because we've been set. If we um, call ourselves Christians, we believe that we are God's children. God's not going to allow us to carry his name and just act in the old kind of way. And, and never be accountable for it. And so um, if you're in the type of situation, one key to getting out, the exit strategy starts with you realizing that you're a sinner, right? All of us sin. Not a single one of us is without sin. Uh, we're born with a predisposition to sin. You're not the first person to make a mistake. And you won't be the last person to make a mistake. But it's the transformative power of salvation through Jesus Christ that allows us to overcome. And so if we look at Romans 3 verses 23 to 24, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So, yes, we are sinners. Yes, we are prone to do the wrong thing, but we can be made right through Jesus Christ. 
Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So that's, again, just reiterating that the consequence of our sins is death. With Apart from Jesus, if we get stuck in that mess, and we are just living out there, and we don't ever come to salvation, our, our reward is death for our actions. We can't do the, the right thing on our own. And in Romans 6, 1 through 2, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. So how can we live in it any longer? So once we do make that conversion, once we are um, born again, if you find yourself in a situation like David or like Samson, where you realize that you're just feeding the flesh, that you're just trying to cover up thing, one thing after another, I'm trying to fix this, I'm trying to make this work on my own, but you're just spinning around in circles, nothing's ever getting better, nothing's ever changing, things keep getting worse. Maybe it's time to realize that you can't do it on your own, that you need to give something up. You can't continue to do the same things and expect a different result. I've lived that my in my own life. I, I talk about this all the time, but just looking at it from this perspective, um, when I was going through what I was going through in my undergrad and I was like, literally like, I talk about it was like one of the darkest times of my life. And it's like, really school was the darkest time of your life, but it wasn't because of academics. It was because I was struggling with letting God be God and just um, submitting to his will and actually Knowing God's purpose for myself, for my own life, and allowing him to be the head of my life. So I was trying to steer the ship myself. I was like, you know, I can do this, and I can do this. And I can, you know, I don't have to go to church because I'm too tired. Or I know I need to read my Bible more, but I really don't have time because I spend 15 hours a day studying. Like, I just don't have time. And that's really a poor excuse. I, I should never have been saying like, I don't have time for God because what if God decided that he didn't have time for me? But because I was in that frame of mind where I was just concerned about, well, I have to do this and I have to do that for me and not concerned about what did God require of me? Uh, what was his purpose for me? What was his plan for me? And, and when I started to see like all of that reflected in my grades and they're slipping further and further. And there was one particular semester where it was just like, everything just fell apart. And uh, like, I missed a final and that that is not, if you know me, that is not me. I don't miss tests. I don't like miss deadlines. I am misorganized everything like in order a certain way, but like everything was falling apart. Missed a final and like, I was just stressed out. like. Friends were just a mess, everything. But no one really knew the full extent of it, but it was just me. Like, I didn't ask for help. I was trying to do it by myself. I was drowning, literally, and nobody knew. But because I was trying to do things my own way. And so the key to my escape, <laughs> the key to my escape room was throwing up my hands and saying, okay, God, I can't do this anymore. What do I do? Like. How can you, how can I get out of this situation? Um, it, and really I just like, I stepped out on faith and I was like, okay, I know that like my grades say that I shouldn't be here next semester, but <laughs> I'm gonna just trust and believe that God is gonna still show me favor and that if I write this letter, that I'll be accepted back. And so that's what I did. I said, you know, God, 
Um, I know that I haven't been, you know, making you a priority, but I realized that I can't do this by myself. So, you know, we like to bargain with God. Well, I did that at that point in time. Like, God, if you just let me stay in school next semester, because I can't tell my parents that I'm going to get kicked out of school. Like, I've been on probation, you know, time after time, but this is like the worst one. And if I get kicked out of school, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so I was like, God, if you just keep me in school, I promise like I'll, I'll never get distracted again. I'm going to get 4.0 GPA the next semester, this, that, the third. And so um, when I when I got real with myself and I got real with God and I like let go of me trying to do everything on my own, that's when, for one, God honored my request. I did not get kicked out of school. I was able to come back and I had the support of like, you know, the administration and everything. And I was able to get back on the right track. I had my best semester um, when I came back the following semester. And God like just put things in order after that. But the key to it all was me realizing that I couldn't do it anymore. And that, that me trying to fulfill my own desires was what kept me stuck in that cycle. And so uh, now I told that whole story and I don't even know what the last scripture was. Um, so, yeah. So Romans 6, 1 through 2, like I said, so what should we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means, because we have died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? Um, and so basically the whole point of my story was to say that no matter what the situation is, no matter what your escape room looks like, the key to it is there's always an escape. You don't have to stay there. Um, there's always a way out. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. I'm sorry, 10 verse 13 says, there is no temptation that has overtaken you except that is which is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond that you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And so that's one of my favorite scriptures. I recommend for anybody who is trying to stay on the right track to memorize that scripture just because it's it's really powerful to remind yourself when you feel overwhelmed that, you know, there's nothing that the enemy can throw at me that I can't overcome through Jesus Christ, right? There's no temptation. There's nothing that, you know, that say I have a predisposition, like I, I like to party or I like to get drunk, right? And I, I've changed my life. I said, God, I'm not doing that anymore. So if that's my if that's my testimony and the enemy tries to present that to me over and over again, I can overcome that because I have I have God. I have the Holy Spirit backing me up. There's nothing that he can do. There's no enticement that he can throw at me that I have to give into it. I don't have to give into that. I can overcome it. And the next one, 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So the next way that we can do that is we have to take authority over our mind, right? You have to call those thoughts under the authority of the Father God, because that's that's one, one trick of the enemy is to, to penetrate the mind, right? We say the mind is a terrible thing to waste, right? And um, it really is because your mind is what determines basically how you operate. It, it determines how you function. 
Um, and so you, you have to guard your heart. You have to guard your mind and you have to tell your mind to line up with the word of God. If anytime you hear a thought come into your mind and it, it's not of God, a thought that's saying, oh, I need to go back with my ex because he just made me feel so good. But you know that y'all were fornicating. You know that you had a pregnancy scare. You know that you almost died because he's abusive. You have to tell your mind, this thought is not of God. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus and, and move on from there because God has given you the authority to do so. And the next thing, James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And that's another one that I would definitely recommend for you to commit to memory. And it's, it's really simple. Submit yourself to God. This is really the whole blueprint. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. He will flee. So if you're living a submitted life, a submitted life to the word of God, and if we look at what went wrong in the stories that we talked about, the whole problem was they were not submitted to God. They were submitted to their own selfish desires. And that's where they messed up. That's where they got stuck in a downward spiral. But if you submit your, your flesh to God, if you crucify your flesh daily, then you don't have to worry about going into a downward spiral. You don't have to worry about um, giving in completely to your own selfish will. And in Psalms 40 verses one through three, the biggest key to your escape room is submission to the father. And so in Psalms 40 verses one through three, this is another Psalm of David. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. And so when you submit yourself to God, there's a couple of things that happen. One, when you submit yourself to God, you're less likely to end up in a situation like that from the beginning. But if you're already there, when you submit yourself to him, God's going to snatch you up out of that situation and reestablish you in himself. And then not only that, but he gives you a song, right? He gives you a testimony because now you can say, I was here, but God pulled me up out of my mess. He set my feet on solid ground and I'm glad because he delivered me and this is my new story. And so, and then because you have that testimony, now other people can look at what you've been through and they can be blessed and they can go on and tell someone else. And so that's the whole point of this, um, this lesson is just for us to know that yes, we do sometimes mess up. Yes, we do sometimes find ourselves you know, walking around in circles aimlessly, looking for clues in the dark, trying to get our way out of a situation where the key is right there in front of us. But the, the goal is to look at the word of God and to see what are the tools that God has given us to be able to have an exit strategy when we find ourselves in a place like that. And it's really just, it, it seems complicated when you're in it and it's not, it's a lot um, easier said than it is done but all things are possible through Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and, so, and God has given us, he's given us the authority to come out of those situations. He's already made a way for us to escape. And so all we have to do is access it. And so I just, um, 
that's all I have for the lesson tonight. I know it's a little bit shorter than normal because I don't have my co-host uh, tonight, my co-teacher, my brother, but I hope that you all have been blessed on tonight. Um, it was just really my heart's desire to bring this word because I know that people are, you know, there's people who are really struggling and who are feeling like they're in a low place and you feel like you can't get out. And I just, I thank God for giving us the tools in his word to be able to get out of these bad situations, these bad places. Um, you don't have to stay in that place. It might be, you know, you might be stuck in a place where you're stuck in your own mind. It's your own thoughts that are holding you captive. But like I said, you have to call those thoughts um, under, you have to submit those thoughts under the authority of the word of God. You have to submit that to the, the Holy Spirit and he'll deliver you if you want to be free from it. And so I just want to pray um, for anybody who might be struggling. Uh, Father God, I just thank you for this teaching. I thank you, God, for this word. I thank you for um, choosing me to deliver this word, God. I don't take it for granted. I don't take it lightly. God, I just honor you just for who you are. And I pray that as the word has gone out, God, that you would um, just send it, God, and that it would accomplish everything that it was to accomplish. I pray, God, that you would touch the hearts of those who are listening, that you have touched the hearts of those who are listening, God. And I pray that as it continues to be replayed on the Internet, God, that you would just continue to touch people and that um, people would be moved to make a change, God, to to um, to recognize you, God, as Lord of their lives, that you are the key to their escape room, that they don't have to be locked up in bondage, God, but that they can break free by the power of the Holy Ghost, God. And Lord, I just pray for if there's anyone who is struggling, Lord, with depression, with um, feelings of insecurity, with just going in cycles of of highs and lows mentally, God, I pray that you would just touch their mind, God, that you would regulate that, God, that you would just build them up in the faith, that you would let them know that they are loved, that they belong to you, God, that you designed them perfectly and that they are fearfully and wonderfully made, that they are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. And Lord, I pray that if there is anyone who is watching who is not saved, that you have touched them, Lord. and. If that is you, if you're listening and you're not saved and you want to um, make God your savior, um, I, if you would just pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, I realize that I'm a sinner. I realize that I can't do this on my own, God. I know that I can do nothing good on my own, but that through your son, Jesus, God, who I believe died for my sins, that all things are possible. And God, I pray that you would just come into my life now, that you would take it over, become the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. And I just want to thank everybody who was watching on tonight. I pray that you've been blessed. I pray that you will share this, um, share it to your timeline, share it with your coworkers, your family, your friends, um, because, you know, we all have a need for the word of God. And I pray that you all have a wonderful weekend and be blessed.